Well, hello, this is Jay, Dr. Jay Smith for The Jay Show here in London. It's so good to have you back. Uh, we've been going through the Dean of Islam, the practices of Islam. I've asked Sarah Foster, uh, who is an expert on Islam, to come and help me to unpack these. Great to have you back again, Sarah. We've already done the Shahada, which is the statement of faith mm -hmm. that there is only one God but God, and Muhammad is the prophet of God. Now we're going to move into the second practice. These are the five practices uh, that every Muslim must do, mm -hmm. whether they are Sunni, Shiite, Alevi, whether they are Ahmadiyya, whether they are Sufi, it doesn't matter where they are in the world, they do these five things. Yeah. And it really, in some ways, brings them all together. It's, a, it's the five things that all Muslims know. It doesn't take much to learn them. Uh, it, in some ways, it can be debilitating to practice them, depending on where you are in the world. And so what we want to do is look at each one of them as we did with the Shahada, and we want to compare them with what we do in Christianity, critique them, contrast them, and try to come to conclusions on them. Now, so let's do the second one, the Salat. What is the Salat? So the Salat are like the formal prayers and um, your Muslims today will tell you that there are five of them. We have the Fajr, which is the morning prayer, the Zawaj, which is the midday prayer, the Asha, the late afternoon, we have the Maghrib after sunset, and we have Isha before midnight. So these are the five prayers, so they're the formal prayers. Fajr in the morning, mm -hmm. and then you have the Zur, which is at noon, up here, coming in uh, from the middle of the day. Then as we get to the ba ba back side of the, of the day, you have three. You three have of them. one before sunset, uh, before the sun goes down, Ashar, and one right after the sunset, which is Maghrib, and then one before you go to bed. So That's three right. in the evening, and that would be the Isha. So one in the morning, one in the afternoon, three in the evening. Mm -hmm. Interesting, okay? So it, it's to me, you'd think there should be one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. Well, yeah, I mean, that would be the normal course of the day. You would think morning, midday, evening, maybe um, afternoon, evening, but we have this strange setup of one in the morning, one at noon, and then three. It seems a bit strange. Well, in fact, we do know that the Jews prayed one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. And isn't it so that when you look at the Quran, you find those three prayers? Just three. Well, well, okay. So you find the two prayers in the Meccan surahs. So these are the earlier surahs. You find two in prayers. In Surah 17, Ayah 78, right. to be exact, you find just the two prayers, the morning and the evening. Yeah. Which is before when you first get up and when you first go down to that bed. That makes absolute sense as well. Okay. I mean, the Jews used to do that. They used to pray a psalm in the morning, psalm in the evening. Maybe they'd do something in between, but you'd always have the morning and evening. Those are the two most important in, ones, in, okay? Yeah, it so makes sense. So that's what you're saying is in the Mecca. Let me explain for the people who yeah. are watching. Most of you may know this, but the Quran, this Quran goes from right to left, uh, this side to this side, because it follows the Arabic. Arabic goes from right to left, not the English, which goes from left to right. So this would be the first part of the Quran. This would be the second part of the Quran. This first part of the Quran is Medinan because that was supposedly revealed to Muhammad why he lived in Medina the last uh, 10 years of his life. This second part of the Quran is called Meccan because that was the part that was revealed to Muhammad the first 12 years of his ministry from 610 to 622. Meccan comes first, Medinan comes second, mm. though Medina is at the beginning and Mecca is at the end. Uh, so it goes backwards, you just turn the Quran upside down, you got the right sequence. That, nonetheless, there are some uh, Meccan material in the Medinan and there's some Medinan in the Meccan, just so that we're clear on that, because otherwise someone will jump up and say, I don't know what you're talking about, Jay. But you can see, because of that, in the Meccan source, this part, 
you only find these two prayers, is what yeah. you're saying. Just in the Meccan, so the earlier parts of Muhammad's ministry. You don't find the middle one, you just find no. the morning and evening. Yes. Surah 17, Ayah 78. It's when you get to this part of the Quran, which is the latter part, the last 10 years of his ministry, from mm -hmm. 622 to 632. So th th this is what Muslims tell us, okay? I don't believe this, you don't believe this, no. but that was when this was part was revealed. And then you find the all three prayers. Well, you say all three, we're meant to have five, but we only find three. For those who want the references, it's in Surah 2, Ayah 238, it's Surah 11, Ayah 114, Surah 20, Ayah 130, Surah 30, Ayah 17, and Ayah 18. Those are the three prayers that you find in Medina. So yeah. even between Mecca and Medina, another prayer is added. Mm -hmm. Se seemingly another prayer is added. The midday prayer. The midday prayer, mm -hmm. uh, which we know is the Zur. So Fajr and Mihrab, and then the Zur, they don't even name these. We're, these names even come later. In fact, these five names, the Fajr, the Zur, the Ashar, the Mihrab, Mahrab, sorry, and the Isha, are not found in the Quran as well either. And that's the problem. <laughs> now, to me, that's huge. That's enormous. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if this is the revealed word of Allah, sent down word for word, if this is the highest form of and Islamic And where do we get the story from? Tell me, reveal word of Allah, but where does Muhammad get this material from? So, well, in terms of the prayers, this would be the Miraj. The Miraj, okay. So the Miraj is a story where Muhammad is woken up in the middle of the night. Yeah. He's told to go outside to get on the back of this winged horse called the Burak. Or a winged bull. Winged bull, okay. And yeah. then he's told that, that, which rises up in the air and flies up from, in that case, he's in Mecca, but he flies up, and this is in 621, so this is the year before he moves up to Medina. And so he flies up to Jerusalem, lands at where the Dome of the Rock is today. It's mm -hmm. called the Rock, the in Dome Jerusalem. of the Rock, because there's mm -hmm. a big rock there. Mm -hmm. And from that rock, then he ascends the seven heavens, gets to the highest heaven where yeah. Allah uh, sits and supposedly meets with Allah. Now, I didn't know that Muhammad or anybody could be in Allah's presence. It's interesting, isn't it? So there's a contradiction right there. Evidently, he's in the presence of Allah, and Allah says he's to pray 50 times a day. Mm -hmm. What happens next? He goes down and Moses says, no, 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 try and cut him down. Well, he comes down to the fifth heaven. Yes. There is Moses. Moses, how many times did he ask you to pray? 50? Ah, no, 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 that's way too many. Go back up. Go back up. <laughs> Get it down. So he goes back up to the seventh heaven and Allah brings it down to 45. Comes mm -hmm. back to Moses. No, no, that's still too much. So he goes back and forth, bounces back and forth between the seventh and the fifth heaven, between Allah and Moses, Allah and Moses, getting from 50 to 45 to 40 to 35, 30, down to 15, 10, down to five. All the way down to five prayers. When he gets it to five prayers, then Moses, okay, that's enough. So he then heads on back down to Jerusalem, so gets back Moses on the winged decision. horse and flies back down to, to Mecca. Yeah, so Moses is the one who decided really. It's Moses who gives us five <laughs> prayers. And it's in 621 when this happens, the year before he goes up to Medina. So which means by 621 they have five prayers. If this book is written and finally compiled by 632. We should find all the five prayers. All the five prayers should Quran. be here. We should really find them. And I, that story interests me for another reason as well. If you think about, if you think back in the Bible, it actually it's in the Jewish scriptures, it's in the Torah. We find Moses, I'm sorry, Abraham talking with God. God has come down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. And his, his um, nephew is in the city, living in the city. And Abraham prays and cries out to God and said, you know, will you destroy this whole city for the sake of 50 righteous men? 
and God says, no, no, I won't destroy it for the sake of so 50 righteous men. this must be where that comes from. I find there's, ve- there's some interesting similarities. The parallels because, are right there. Because Abraham gets God and he's bargaining with God yeah. and gets him to bring it down, 50 to 45, yeah. 40, brings it down. And he probably could have brought it down all the way to one, but I think he stops at, at So Sarah, what you're ten. saying is this story is again another borrowed story. They've just confused the characters. I just don't think it's original. I don't <laughs> see anything original here. No. no. And isn't Islam nothing more than borrowing, mm. taking a little bit from here, taking a little bit there, taking an awful lot from the Bible, but getting the wrong people in the wrong places, That's doing the right. wrong thing. We, saw, we see this in Surah 21 with Abraham yes. uh, in the Kaaba, going and destroying all the idols and then being thrown into a fiery pit. No, no, no. Abraham no. didn't get thrown into a fiery pit. You got the wrong man doing the wrong thing. In the wrong place. In the wrong At place. The wrong That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. Please get the names right. And for heaven's sakes, don't put Abraham there. So you can see where they've done that all the way through. Whoever put the Quran together had not read the Bible first. It seems like they've been listening to stories and just got confused. Who was this person? Who was that person? Where was it happening? They got some of the details <laughs> right, but... If you're getting if you're getting the whole context wrong, then it's not it's not correct. It's so good when we have the Bible here to correct it because the Bible doesn't have this confusion, does not get the characters wrong. The stories are all there, and they were there when the Quran was put together. Why in the world did they not come back to the Bible and check out their sources? Do you know the reason? It wasn't in Arabic. That's right. But it's worse than that, Jay, because this book says that you should refer to this book. That's right. And these stories are contradictory. Surah 10, Ayah 94. Surah 21, Ayah 7. Surah 4, Ayah 136. Surah 5, 5, 46 and 47, and verse 68 that you say. That especially says Christians don't People of the book, you stand on nothing unless you uphold the law of the Torah. Unless we come back to this book. And that's why in some ways we're the best to tell Muslims, you've got a problem here. Let us tell you where the problems are. Here's another glaring problem. If you want to know about the prayers, if you want to know where the story came about the Mirage, Mm. go back to the story of Abraham. But please get the right person doing the right thing at the right time in the right right place. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad I got the Bible. And I'm so glad I don't have to trust in this book. Because the more we unpack this book, that was not our intention for this sequence. We're talking about the prayers and we're trying to unpack the prayers. But if you get the stories wrong, for heaven's sakes, throw it all out. And now we can understand. And even then they still don't get the whole story because they're missing two prayers. They're yes. missing the two prayers that are on either side of the sundown, which would be the Ashar and the Isha. Yeah. They're missing those two prayers. Those are not in the Quran. So that's a contradiction between the Hadith and the Quran. Which one should we believe? Okay, wait. So you're saying that these five prayers only appear in the Hadith? They're in the Hadith, which are written. In Al-Bukhari. Al-Bukhari, which we know comes to 9th or 10th. 870. 9th century. Late 9th century. The five prayers that we do find that all Muslims follow today, the five prayers, that is the Fajr, the Zur, the Asha, the Maghrib, and the Isha, those five prayers are not here. Only the Fajr, the Asha, and I'm sorry, the Fajr, the Zur, and the Maghrib, which are not listed. They're not named as such. But even those names you will not find in the Quran. The first time that we find them is with Al Buhari in 870. Muhammad died in 632. That's 240 years later. It takes them 240 years to finally get all five prayers. Oh man, that is disturbing to me. Because then how can this be the word of God? And how is it that Muslims pray five times a day if the Quran only says you're to pray three? Uh, Yeah, and on a practical note, my poor Muslim friends worried when they don't get all their prayers in. And it's not even in the Quran. 
If you're Quran only, you don't have a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't think about that. I'll tell my Quran only <laughs> friends because we have lots of friends at Speakers Corner who are Quran only. They only go to the Quran. I say, well, then only three prayers for you guys. And if you want to be Meccan only, there's only two prayers for you guys <laughs> front and back at the beginning and when, when you wake up and when you go to bed. And that makes it a lot easier. But now let me ask you, do we only pray five times a day? No, I was going to say, and, and when we're talking about this Salat, we're talking about the formulaic prayer with the, all the actions and the, and the bowing down and the prostrating. And um, there's also the, the raka. The raka. And, and, and when they, they, they start putting their hands behind the ears, mm -hmm. they do the shahada. And usually it's someone who is a hafiz, a hafiz who, if they have a hafiz handies uh, at Speaker's Corner, they have yes. a hafiz there who always leads the prayer. Yes. It's an exalted position. They're all standing In, very close to one another. And what must be touching? Their toes. Their toes. Their feet must be touching. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've... I've prayed in mosques yeah. um, in my contextual I days. Haven't, I haven't prayed in a don't, mosque. Please don't. <laughs> that was when I was going through my contextual period. Yeah. And uh, back in the 1980s, I, yeah, I want to do everything contextual. And so I would go to these mosques in Senegal and I would say, listen, I'm going to pray to Jesus Christ. Is it okay that I pray? Oh, yeah, come along. That'd be great. So I used to go there and I noticed they have these, they have these men with long sticks and they would sit there and tap your toes to get your toes to touch the <laughs> toes of the next person. And I couldn't figure this out. I had to find out, why are they trying to get my toes to touch? And I was told later that the more touch, the toes that touch the other person, the stronger the prayer becomes. It's like a mm. magical electricity. You need to have each body, the toes, touching each one. And, and that's why you're in long lines and you're not all over the place. So you don't have people, like when we go to church, people sit where they want. There's no one saying you have to sit there, you have to sit there, or, except in some churches where women sit on one side and men sit in the other. But there are people, you can, you don't have to be next to a person and you don't want to touch people when you're in church. But in the mosque, they want their feet to touch so that the prayers get, become stronger by the more feet to touch. Okay, why would a prayer become stronger if your, your feet are touching? What is, what is it the power of the feet touching? I mean, as Christians, we don't understand this. You know, they have mathematical formulas <laughs> yes. and they have books with these mathematical formulas of how which to. show how much more strength you get depending on how many people are in that line. Uh, even what days and nights, especially if you pray during the night of prayer. I mean, even with these mathematical formulas, if, you, if your prayer is stronger, depending on how you position yourself, right. then there's some onus of the power being on the people. Okay. We completely reject that. Only God is powerful. All right. If there's any power, it's coming from God. It's the same thing for every prayer. Yeah, very formulaic. It's formulaic. All right, now when you pray, do you pray the same thing every prayer? No, not at all. Why not? Why don't you just pray the same thing every day? <laughs> because it's a relationship. Imagine if I came up to you, Jay, every single time I saw you, I'd say, hello, Jay, how are you? Well, I would hope you do that because that is how we start our salutations. Well, yeah. But if, if that was all I ever said to you, every single time I see you, hello, how are you Jay, doing? how are you? It'd get pretty boring. More hello, than that, Jay. there would be no relationship. How are you? Yeah. There's, there's no relationship. So if things can start off well, Things can start off well-meaning, but if there's a real relationship, you move on. You learn about each other's personalities, you, you, you've, you've, you've gone through experiences together, and then you're able to communicate these things. Well, we see this throughout point. the Bible. So what you're saying, Sarah, is in Christianity, when we pray, it's not a formula. It is not a formula. Think about Abraham. Abraham didn't know who God was. God called him out of his father's house, out of Ur. Yeah. And and God, Abraham was learning about God and bit by bit he's like, oh, you are the provider. 
and God would teach him, you know, don't allow your wife to go off with these men, you know, make sure you look after your wife. Right. And he'd be like, okay, God, you know, you, you like, you want me to look after my wife. Don't have a family through this, um, through your, you know, servant girl, which he's done. Um, you, will, you will have a child through your wife, Sarah. Okay, God, you are the God that is able to bring children, even though my, I'm old in my body, my wife is old in her body. Bit by bit, he, decided, he, he began to understand the character of God and God would tell him more and more things bit by bit. And so we don't have a formula. It's a relationship. We get to know God and God reveals himself to us. And, and, and I guess some people would think about what Jesus said in terms of, our Father who art in heaven, this is how you pray. But was he telling us that we have to pray that every single time, those exact words? No, no, you're right. No, he was, he was declaring, God is your Father. So prayer, you're saying, is a relational thing. It's as if you're talking to God. That's what Jesus taught us. When Jesus taught us our Father, first of all, he's teaching us this is a relationship. This is not just a, a God who's far away, who doesn't care. This God relates to you as a father. If you were married, when you do get married, mm. can you imagine waking up in the morning uh, and saying to your husband the same thing you say in the afternoon, the same thing you say just before you go to bed? What kind of relationship would you have with answer. your husband? There'd be no relationship. There'd be no. Now, now maybe there are some marriages like that. <laughs> I need to be careful. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. I hope that there are not relationships yeah. like that, but maybe they do no, occur. Nobody wants a relationship That's like that. That's not a marriage, is no. it? And that would be not be a way that you would treat God or anybody. It's, it comes down to love. I mean, Jesus taught us very important things. It all boils down to two principles. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love people. And if you love God and you love people, you will want to get to know them. You will want to be in relationship with them. You will not be satisfied by just saying the same thing over and over again to them and not having any response, not feeling connection. Now, Muslims will come back to you and mm. they will say, yes. I mean, you heard this here in London all the time. Oh, but when I pray, Allah is listening to me. They call it the dua prayers. There is the dua prayers, mm -hmm. which is not the five. This is another prayer that can be prayed at any time. Mm -hmm. You can pray for exams. You can pray for crisis. Mm -hmm. You can pray for going to the hospital. What do you do with dua? What about dua prayers? Because dua prayers are the similar, are the closest that I can find to what we're talking about. Does the Quran say much about dua prayers? It, it doesn't say much at all, actually. Um, I'm, I'm even struggling to find a verse. It's not in the Quran. <laughs> you have to go to the traditions for that. I'm struggling to find a verse in the Quran simply because it's not there. Um, when we talk about our prayers and our personal relationship with God, we can look throughout the Bible, throughout all of the prophets, even people who were not prophets, people that just cried out to God, thinking of um, the woman um, with the issue of blood. She cried out to Jesus, she touched him and he healed her. And there's other, there's other examples where... So Jesus responded. Jesus responded. So a prayer is, and, 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 and when we pray, we know God's going to respond. Mm -hmm. When we fast, which we're going to talk about next, we know God's going to respond. And I think this is the difference between um, the Bible and the Quran. Throughout the Bible, when we're talking about the Jewish Bible, which we attach, we call it our Old Testament, and we attach the New Testament, which is all about the Messiah, all about Jesus, to the Jewish Bible. It fits together perfectly. Yeah. And throughout this Bible, we see God coming into earth, God responding to his people, God interfering and, and doing different things in the earth through the lives of people. I don't see that in the Quran. The only time I see God coming to earth is when it's a story borrowed from the Jewish um, Torah. That's the only time I see it. 
I don't see God interacting with the people in the Quran. In fact, that's a real problem for Muslims because the story you're referring to Surah 20 and also Surah 27. Yeah. Uh, verse 10 to 14 in Surah 20. Moses in the burning Moses bush. Moses in the burning bush where he says, this is Allah, you're on hallowed ground, take off your shoes. But, yeah. Verily, this is Allah speaking to you, there is God on earth. My Muslim friends are telling me Allah cannot come to earth. Bingo, you got a problem there. Throw, tear that out and throw it away. So, so how on earth is Allah hearing your prayers in the first place if he can't even come into this to this place. I thought he was too holy and too precious to even come close to us. His knowledge, his, he's, every, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, they would say. They so would therefore say, his spirit, the Ru Allah, would be on earth. The Ru Allah or, his, close as or, his, or his knowledge. But is it a part of him? Is it separate Surah 50, Ayah 16 does say that. He's as close to you, the Ru Allah is as close to you as your juggler vein. And that's how they get around it, which supposes therefore that God's a duality. Well, Ooh, I love that. Well, Isa is called Rahim Manu which is also a problem, spirit of Allah. So, I mean, who, who are we to... <laughs> Whoops, there's a contradiction. Oh, well, we'll that, and that will be something where we are going to talk about. And actually, um, that's, that, that's a huge theological conundrum for Muslims, how to get around that, how to explain it. But getting back to this prayer, I think that's fascinating because they're looking for dua everywhere yeah. because they hear what we're saying yeah. and they're jealous. Yeah. That we can talk to our God. Yeah. That we don't just remember if if you're bowing down, supplicating yourself, praying to one's place in Mecca. Remember, they pray towards Mecca. I've always asked them, "What's why are you praying to Mecca? Who's there in Mecca? Is Allah in Mecca? When Is that you what you're doing?" To Mecca? And when did you start? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point too. That's going to come up in the historical questions. But if you're only praying to Mecca and you do it five times a day and you do the same formula every time, which stipulates that Allah must be living there. There, you're bowing down to him. It's only a one-way street. It's only going one direction. Mm. You're submitting yourself. You're obeying God by praying. And this is submission, isn't it? This is what a slave does to a master. They are Abdullah, slaves of God. And how do you show your submission? By praying, <laughs> sublimating. Yeah. And uh, five times a day. So if there's any notion that Allah, therefore, is going to respond to that prayer, no longer is he a master and you're a slave, and that's where I hang them every time. And I say, yes, God. I say, does Allah really respond? Oh, yes. Uh, so Allah is, therefore, limited. So Allah, therefore, does have a relationship with you. In fact, what I'm suggesting you're saying is you're starting to talk like Christians. <laughs> you want what we've got. Yeah. I can see why you're saying it. And I think we need to remind Muslims there's no theological support for what they're saying. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are, have fallen in love with Jesus. Yeah. They have fallen in love with the God it? of the Bible. Who wouldn't fall in love with Jesus? I, I can understand and, and, it. And I think, I think the difference is this. Jesus is a living person. Yeah. Even according to Islam, he is living. He is the only one seated at the right hand, well, seated in paradise if you, with Allah. If you're a Muslim, we believe that he's right with his father. With, with Muslims praying to Mecca, what are they praying to? A stone. That's right. A, a black, a black stone. stone that has been kissed so in long. In the Torah, Moses said, do not set up sacred stones. That's what a is huge this? one. That's a huge Why are you one. praying to We're a sacred stone? We're going to talk about that when we get to the Hajj about that ah, stone. Okay. But it's fascinating, this idea of personal relationship. Personal relationship. Are you going to pray to a so stone or are you going to pray to a living being? Mm. Now, there are some hindrances to prayer in Islam. Mm. What are the hindrances to prayer? Well, um, so if certain things can disturb your prayer, a woman, a dog, <laughs> or an ass or a donkey. And a jinn. 
And a jinn. You're right. So Yeah, Muhammad uh, was disturbed by a jinn. That's why they cannot have <laughs> women pass in front of them. Yes, the women have to be behind. That's why whenever you go to a mosque, either women are behind or they're upstairs or to the side. They're never permitted to be. Now, my Muslim friend always tells me when I ask them, why can't women be in front of you? They said, because when they bow down, they don't want them seeing their back end because yeah. they'll be disturbed by that, that. So that's a distraction. But the hadith is saying it actually cuts off your prayer. So we're talking about more than a distraction. In the Mishkat al-Masabi, the Sutra, volume 1, page 157, it says, Muhammad said, a woman, an ass, and a dog cut off prayer. Mm. And then we go on to al-Buhari, Sahih Buhari, volume 6, book 60, Hadith 332, which says, um, relate on the authority of Abu Huraira, who is a companion of Muhammad, yes. that the Prophet said, an afrit, which is a wicked jinn, out of the jinni, uh, came suddenly upon me last night, desiring to disturb me in my prayer. So I strangled him and wished to tie him to one of the columns of the mosque. You were referring to this uh, in the last segment that we were talking about. I but did. This is this is Al Buhari and this is Miskat Al Masabi, which would be the six compilations put into one volume that refer to the fact that these are the things that hinder prayer. Jinns hinder prayer. He had to strangle Not him. Not just hinder, cut off. Cut off the prayer. Women. Ass, which is a donkey, uh, and, uh, and a dog. So the first question is this. Why would a woman, a dog, and an ass cut off your prayer? Isn't God stronger than you know, what passes between your vision? Doesn't this seems God have almost the like Arab tradition. This almost seems like problems that Arabs had in the 7th century, which has been incorporated into their theology. Well, I mean, in Christianity, we pray everywhere and ev anywhere. You know, you can pray at all times, whether there's things going on Is or not. Is there anything that can hinder? Can a man or a woman, can a dog or an ass hinder our prayers? So in Christianity, you have to make sure your relationships are right with people. Essentially, it was God was saying between husband and wife, you know, make sure, fix your relationship and then come to me. But in terms of physical people walking in front of you or dogs or... Can you do it when you have your menstruation? Anytime. See, this is Muslims tell me they can't do it when women are having anytime. their menstruation. How about in the toilet? I love to ask that one to my Muslim friends. Can you pray the toilet? No, you cannot. You must not. And I say, well, then you need a bigger God. Because so my God is everywhere. So this is the difference. Even in the toilet. This is the difference between the spiritual and the physical. Yeah. yeah. God is not hindered by the physical. No, Our God, the Christian no. God, is not hindered by the physical. Anywhere you are, you can pray. That's right. And remember that our God came into earth. He actually came into the filth to rescue us from sin, rescue us from the filth. I think it's in Jeremiah where it talks about that he came down into the miry clay yeah, yeah. And, and picked us up and he cleaned us up. So our God is used to getting his hands dirty and dealing with us because we are sinful people in the eyes of God who is perfect. Right. But with Allah, you have to clean yourself. You have to, you do these ablutions and, before the prayers. And it's not anything powerful. You are cleaning yourself with water, not even anything spiritual, not any, even anything heavenly. So as long as you clean your hand behind your ears, your toes, see when some do their nostrils, their nostrils they do, they do their all, mouth. it's almost a ritual as to what goes first and what goes second. What, what is water going to do? That's right. It's, it's just water. That's so but, man's thinking. That is such like man th trying, to, trying to become clean. Yes, use water. But that doesn't work. Yeah. And it says in some cases, if there's no water, then you use the sand yeah. in the desert. Yeah. Like yeah. that's going to get you cleaner clean to God. Earth. <laughs> Is there anything we can do to make us clean before God? Nothing. Does God wait for us to be clean to come to? I love what you just said. God doesn't wait for us to be clean because there's no way we can be clean. We can't. We in can't. fact, it's when we're at the dirtiest that we need the God the most. And that's the gospel. And when we talk about Injil, 
it means gospel and gospel means good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came. Now he was the one, he's the Messiah who that everybody was waiting for. The prophets talked about the prophets in the Jewish scriptures. They talked about the Messiah coming. He came to clean us. So all the evolutions and washing, all of that means nothing. Oh, I just love, I, yeah, the more we talk about God, the more that I get, I fall in love with him. Mm. The more we talk about prayer, the more that I realize we need it because I need to be in relationship as if I'm with my relationship with my wife. The more I want to see her, the more I want to be with her, the more I want to talk about what's happened. Yeah. The same way with my God. I I want to be with him. Yeah. I want to see him. I want to be able to inter interact with him. I want to be able to participate with him. And the way that we do that is through prayer. Through prayer. It is at any time. People said to Jesus, you were the one who have the words of eternal life. We want the words of Jesus. We want, and how do we get it? We speak to him. We, we speak pray to, him. to him. If I didn't have a relationship with you, how do we get to know each other? And that's yes. exactly what they have with their God. There's Very nothing shallow. deeper. There's no relationship. No wonder he's so other, so distant, so unapproachable, so in incomprehensible. No wonder they don't know who God is. That's why everything they can do is earthly. They're not expecting anything to come from heaven. Therefore, prayer for a Muslim is nothing more than working off their salvation. Then talking to a stone. Talking to a stone. They're doing it five times a day. The exact same prayer every time. It doesn't change from one to the other. It's the same raka. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It happens at Fajr, Zur, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha, those five times during the day. Yeah. No other time. You can pray at any time. But you know, Jay, there is hope. Why is that? There is hope because it says in the Bible, God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek for me with all your hearts. And if you are really seeking God, he will reveal himself and he will reveal himself as the God of the Bible. Oh, I love that. And for those of you who are watching, I hope you realize the great thing that we have uh, when it comes to prayer. And that's what we're talking about in this segment here. When it comes to prayer, a Muslim can only pray five times a day in one direction, in one language. They cannot pray in their own mother tongue. Even when they're doing the prayers, the prayer for many, 85% of all Muslims is nothing more than an Arabic prayer which they don't even understand. You can pray anywhere, hmm. at any time, even hmm. in the toilet, even when you're menstruating. And especially when you're feeling down, when you're feeling helpless, when you're feeling hopeless, when you need God the most, that's when God is there. And that's the beautiful thing about prayer. Our prayer is so different than Islam. Yeah. Our prayer is a relational prayer. Our prayer is getting close to God. Our prayer is to a God in any language. He can understand us in English and in Arabic. Yes, even in Arabic, our God can speak every language. What a great God <laughs> he is. It's so great to introduce him to you. This is Jay here in London, over and out. <laughs>